Good to see everybody. Thank you for those that were able to make it this week and on the, uh, the holiday weekend. Uh, please be in prayer for your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are traveling. We're going to make sure everyone has a great time and gets back safely. Um, today we're in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn uh, there to Matthew 22, uh, as well as the verses will also be on the screen, continuing, continuing in our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and uh, I just want to ask this question. Have you ever showed up someplace and felt underdressed? Like completely not prepared for the occasion? Has that ever happened to you? Right, right. It, well, one, uh, one weekend, a couple years ago, uh, some friends and myself were traveling to an event in Chicago. And, and uh, of course, you know, it's a little, little bit of a... Uh, a drive, so we were wearing road trip clothes, you know, like hoodies and jeans and, you know, that type of thing. So we're just, you know, ready for a comfy ride. So we get into town, and it's uh, in the evening. We're um, just wanting to find some place to eat and then get to the hotel and settle in, and, and uh, so we're wondering where we were going to stop, and so we're just driving around looking for a place, and then I see this steakhouse that I've been wanting to go to for a very long time. If you don't know me very well, you'll find out that I'm kind of a talk radio junkie. Um, I don't really listen to music in my car. I turn on talk radio and like to listen to people argue about politics. That's like, like what I find to be fun. And so uh, I was listening to this talk radio show host for a while, and every time he would have a commercial break, he would plug this steakhouse. And he'd talk about how thick and how juicy and how perfectly aged the meat is. And, I mean, every time he'd talk about it, would be like, man, I want one of those steaks. I want, I want to eat at this place, and so I was always looking for an opportunity to go there, but as luck had it, we didn't have any in our area, but in Chicago, they had this steakhouse, and I'm not going to, to name the name because I, I don't want to throw them under the bus or anything, but, but so we're all hungry, we're tired, we just got off the road, and we're just like, let's stop by, and here, there it is, in all of its glory, this steakhouse, I was like, oh, let's go there, I heard great things about it. Now, my experience, when I'm talking steakhouses, my experience is like Outback, right? And, you know, where you can eat really well for 10 to $12, right? So we walk into this place, and instantly I realize I'm a little underdressed. Walk in, the hostess at a steakhouse is wearing this dress. I look around, everybody's in a suit. And I'm like, what kind of place is this? I thought we were having steak. And so we go to the front, and, and kind of sheepishly, I'm like, uh, are there any tables available? And they're like, yeah, we, we have a table. And the hostesses are looking at us like, are you serious? You're coming in here looking like that, and you want, you want to eat? Are you serious? They didn't have to say it. I could see it, like, in their face. And so I'm like, yeah, let, let, let's get a table. Let's sit down. Everyone agreed we're going to eat here. And so they found us a table, and when they walked us to our table, I think they searched for the table the furthest back 
that they could, they could walk us. I mean, we walked around everywhere, all the way through, into the back, and then there was, like, nobody else around in this area. And so we're sitting down at the table, and, uh, and I swear it took, like, 30, 40 minutes before anyone even decided to come around to give us a drink order. I mean, we were there forever. We were waiting forever before they would even take our drink order. And so we're like, okay, well, let's at least look at the menu and see if this place is going to be, you know, all that it's cracked up to be. And when I opened the menu, I saw that the $12 steak I was hoping to get was more like a $30 steak. And I was like, I'm not going to walk out for $12 to $15. I'm going to walk out for like $50 to $60 just for one person. So I'm like, oh, let's, let's reconsider. And we decided to patronize, uh, I think, Taco Bell. So we, we left. But, but it was one of those things. The moment I walked into that place, I knew I was underdressed. I didn't fit in. And so we had to leave. And here in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is going to tell a story about another guy who showed up to a wedding party who was underdressed and couldn't stay. He wasn't prepared for the party. And to catch you up kind of where we are in the story, last week we began Holy Week. We talked about Jesus' triumphant entry, the time where the Messiah was finally revealing himself to the nation of Israel. He, he uh, rides the donkey all the way into Jerusalem. He goes into the temple, and instead of being welcomed with open arms and, and getting ready to set up his kingdom as was promised to the people of Israel long ago, Jesus finds his house, the temple, filled with wickedness. Thieves and money changers had turned the worship of God into consumerism. And a time that was supposed to be a day of rejoicing, a day of prophecy's fulfillment, became a day of condemnation and judgment. And Jesus, as he turns over those tables and runs those people out of there, he states that my house shall be known as a house of prayer. And we talked about how God's house should be a house of prayer. And after Jesus has this kind of confrontation there at the temple, he stays there for a little bit uh, to kind of teach and, and clear things up. And then he ends up going to a nearby village for the night. The next morning, Jesus returns again to Jerusalem and to the temple, and he's immediately confronted by some priests and some religious leaders who feel like Jesus has some audacity to kind of declare this type of, uh, this type of authority in the temple. Like, who are you to turn over these tables? Who are you to teach like this and to do these miracles? Where do you get your authority? They were challenging him because they didn't believe he was who he said he was. And so Jesus does what Jesus always does when people have a question. He answers them with questions. And he begins to tell them stories to kind of reveal the truth about what's really going on. And here in Matthew 22, he tells a story about a wedding feast to reveal the truth about what's going on, not just in the hearts of these priests, but in the hearts of Israel. So in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord declares this. It says, Jesus told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. 
The king was furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. And the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him out into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we've read your word. Now, Holy Spirit, speak. Begin to interpret your word for us today. God, we know that this was an interaction between Jesus and these priests in this time. But God, we know that this applies to us even in this very moment. So I pray against the enemy and the distractions that he would bring. God, I pray against the excuses and, and things that would fill our hearts that would prevent us from hearing your word today, God. And I just ask that we would hear and receive and respond to your word today. God, we love you and we thank you for all you're about to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in Matthew 22, as Jesus tells this story about this wedding feast, he raises an issue with these priests. Now, you got to think about what's happening in this exchange. These priests, they're the religious leaders. They're the pastors and teachers. If you were alive in that day and you went to temple or church, these are the guys you'd be learning from. Right, So it would be like a collection of the leading scholars and theologians in the day, the guys that should know what's going on. And they're approaching Jesus in and, and their fine priestly apparel, and they're confronting him about uh, his authority. And he gives this story about a wedding feast that has deeper implications. And the issue Jesus raises with this story is the issue of eternity and where the hearts of these men were leading them. You see, eternity is something every person has to face. What's more important than what kind of life we experience in this life is what kind of life we're going to experience in the next life. Eternity is not something that we really like to think about because for many, it's rather scary. It's a scary thought. And, and when we start to think about life after this life or life after death, it starts to bring to mind friends and family members and people that, have, that we've known, that we've loved, that have already gone on into the next life. And sometimes it brings a question as to what the state of their eternal existence is. And so it can become uncomfortable. And my goal today is not to make us uncomfortable, but it is to be thankful because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. You see, the reality is, and what Jesus brings to light in this story is that one, hell is a real place. The one who wasn't dressed appropriately was cast out into outer darkness, into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a description of hell. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43, it describes hell as a place where the fire is never quenched and where the worms that devour never die. Luke 16, 23, Jesus describes hell as a place of torments. In Revelation 14, John the Apostle describes hell as a place of condemnation and eternal judgment, the place where God's wrath is poured out forever. This is a real place. But the truth is, this is a place that we were never 
meant to experience. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus says that hell was the place he reserved for Satan and his angels. The angels that rebelled against God and turned against his kingdom and began to work evil out in the world. Hell was a place designed to punish Satan and the demon, demonic forces that he controls. Mankind was never meant to experience hell. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created the Garden of Eden, he planted mankind in the garden. Man was meant to experience a perfect life, a utopian life forever. We were never meant to experience death. We were never meant to experience suffering or wickedness or sin. We were never meant to experience hell. But the moment Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, they went in league with the devil. And death was passed upon all men. We were separated from God. And now every human being that exists is born into a sinful state. A state that is destined for hell. And even in our day, in the day that Christ is talking about this story... He's revealing to us that those that choose not to repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior have chosen to remain in league with the devil, to remain in their sinfulness, and therefore must experience the same fate as Satan in eternity. That is a harsh and difficult truth. It's eternal. And we don't often like to think about that. Well, how could a loving God send people to hell? It's a question we hear all the time. But the truth is God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves to hell through our sinfulness and through our rejection of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And the thing we have to remember is that although we only like to think about God's love, his grace, and his mercy, and how heaven is forever, and his love is forever, and his love never fails, if God's love, mercy, and grace is eternal, so must his righteousness and his judgment be eternal. And so those who die apart from Christ, apart from having a relationship with God, will spend an eternity paying for their sins alongside the devil and his angels. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul the apostle to the church of Rome, he says this, he says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. What you earn because of your sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And as Tony and I, we talk to our kids about God, about faith, and about what Jesus did for us on the cross, we'll talk about this verse, because it's really important that they understand that not only do they have sin, but there is a consequence for sin. And uh, I often use this illustration because it applies specifically in our family. Whenever um, I get up in the morning, I usually get up before everyone and make coffee and, you know, and uh, go work out and come back, get ready for work. And then the kids start to get up and get ready for school and Tony's getting them ready. And, and they'll come in and they'll see me getting my, my work clothes on and Asher specifically will say, are you going to work today? And I'll be like, yes, I'm going to work just like every other day. And then he'll start whining and be like, why do you got to go to work? You, I don't want you to go. I want you to stay here and play. And, and I'll tell him, I got to go to work because I got to go make money. I got to go make some money. And he's like, why do you got to go make money? And I'm like, well, if I don't go make money, then we can't live in this house. We won't be able to pay for it. We won't have any food to eat. We won't have a car to drive. These are realities. If I don't go make some money, then 
you won't have a place to live. We'll, we'll be suffering. And he's like, oh, okay, you know. And so the next day he'll, he'll come, and over time the, the question changes from, do you got to go to work today? It's like, do you got to go work and make money today, you know? You know, the question changes, and I really honestly think he thinks I sit at a machine and make money. I think that's what he thinks that I do. But, uh, but this is kind of what he does. And so uh, when we talk about this verse, that the wages of sin is death, I'll talk about when they ask me that question. Hey, guys, you know when you ask me why do I go to work, and I say I got to make money, and they're like, yeah. And they're like, well, when I go to work, the job that I do, because I do that work, I'm owed payment. I'm owed a paycheck, and so at the end of each week, I get money from my employer. They pay me. That's my paycheck. They pay me for the work that I do, and because I get paid, those, that's called my wages. So the wages I get for the job that I do is the money I earn. Do you get that? Yeah, yeah, I get that. You, you, your wages are, are your paycheck. Okay, well, this Bible here is saying the wages of sin is death. So what do you think that means, guys? And they'll be like, well, death is what you earn because of your sin. Yes, that, that's how it works. Because you sin, there's sin in your heart. What you earn, what is due to you, is death. That's death. So it's not that God sends people to hell. It's that that is what is rightfully yours because of your sin. And this is the state. This is what it applies to everyone who has ever lived. We are born into a sinful state, and we're doomed to die as a result of our sin. But thank God this verse does not end right there. Romans 6.23 continues. Paul says, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So even though death is a reality, because of our sin, that's what we're rightfully owed because of the sin in our lives, God has given us a free gift through Christ Jesus. So not only is hell real, but heaven is also real. And it is also available to each and every one of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, as Paul's talking to the church of Corinth, he says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Here Paul is saying, you know what? Death doesn't bother me because the moment I'm separated from this body, I get to be with Jesus. I am going to heaven. And this is what we understand now in this life at this point in this timeline of history is that when we die, if we die as believers in Jesus, as children of God, that the moment we die, we are translated instantly into the presence of of our God. If you hear about stories of people that die and have out-of-body experiences, they follow the tunnel of light and they end up in the presence of God and they say it's a place unlike anything they've ever experienced, a place they never want to leave. It is a place that is prepared for God and his people. But see, heaven isn't just the place where God dwells now. We're told in the book of Revelation that heaven literally is going to come to earth. In the judgment, God is going to purge the earth of sin and wickedness. He's going to put an end to Satan and the devil. He's going to cleanse the world of sin. He's going to remake the heavens, and he's going to remake the earth just like it was prior to the point sin entered the picture. And in the last days, John says he saw the windows of heaven open up in the new Jerusalem, the city of God, coming out of the sky and landing on the earth. And there in Jerusalem, in the new city, 
God's people will spend eternity with him forever and forever and forever. Heaven is going to come to earth. And when that day comes, Scripture tells us that God is going to resurrect our old bodies. He's going to turn them into bodies that will never die. He's going to cleanse them of sin and create them into bodies that will never sin. And there we will live in a perfected state with our Savior forever and forever and forever. Heaven is going to be a place of pure joy where there will be no sorrow, there will be no pain, there will be no sickness, no disease, no death, and no sin. Why? Because there will be no separation from God. We will have access to our Heavenly Father 24-7. Loneliness, despair will be things of the past, never to be experienced again. So Jesus is talking about in the end times, in eternity, life after this life, there are two options. There is hell and there is heaven. And these religious leaders that he was speaking to, they believed that because they were from the line of Abraham, they were Jews, they were in the nation of Israel, and they were devoutly uh, adhering to their religion, that they were shoo-ins for the kingdom of heaven. That because they were heirs of the promise and that they were faithful to their religion, that heaven was assured. But Jesus, in this story, he tells them, look, not everyone's going to heaven. Not everyone's making it to the wedding party. In verse 11, chapter 22 of Matthew, he says, But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. He wasn't dressed for the occasion. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. You see, this man showed up to the wedding party with everyone else. Just like one day, everyone will stand before God. Everyone will stand before God in the judgment to give an account for their life. And here Jesus is relaying that this picture of what it's going to be like in the judgment. And because this man did not have on the right clothes, because he wasn't dressed for the occasion, instead of being welcomed into the kingdom of God, he was sent away into judgment. He wasn't prepared. So our leadership team, year after year, we go to a, a conference, a leadership conference down in Georgia, similar to the Global Leadership Summit, as we announced in the announcements uh, but it, it's kind of a two-day conference full of the best speakers and worship leaders from around anywhere. It's a time where we're really filled up and re-energized to come back and stay focused on the mission God has placed in our hearts here. But at the, the Catalyst Conference down in Georgia, it's about thirteen to 14,000 church leaders from around the nation that gather for this conference. It's a huge deal. And I kind of believe it's a glimpse of heaven because when that many people are praising God at the top of their lungs, it just, it does something to you. It just draws you in and uh, it, it just overwhelms the spirit. And uh, I mean, I love going to this conference year after year. But the thing I don't like about the conference is that there's thirteen to 14,000 people there because everyone wants to get to the same place at the very same time. So they normally open the doors about 8.30 in the morning. And if you don't get there early enough, you could be on the back end of a thirteen to 14,000 person line, right? So you know, it's kind of a deal. But we've, we've gone there enough times now, we've kind of learned how to navigate. So we, we don't have to show up as early anymore. But uh, the thing is, is that it doesn't matter how great of a Christian you are. It doesn't matter how big your church is. 
It doesn't matter what kind of music you do or how many times you've been to the conference. It doesn't matter how early you've gotten to the conference. And if you beat everybody in line there, the moment they open those doors, you can only get in if you have a pass. If you don't have a pass, if you don't have the credentials, you can't get through the door. It doesn't matter how badly you want to get in. It doesn't matter how, how much effort you put into making it to the conference. If you don't have a pass, you cannot get in. And so what do we do? Well, every year we make sure we take the necessary precautions to pay for the tickets. We register for the conference. So when we get there, we just pick up our pass and get in line. But the same is true here for the wedding party that Jesus is talking about. He's like, it doesn't matter how badly you want to go to the party. It doesn't matter how early you got there or, or what you intended to do. What matters is that you have made the necessary arrangements, that you have uh, taken the precautions, that you've done what is needed to be done in order to be dressed for the occasion. And in this case, as it pertains to getting into heaven, Jesus says, you need the right clothes. You need the wedding clothes. In order to go to the wedding party, you need to be wearing wedding clothes. And so I asked this question as I was studying this week. Well, what are the wedding clothes? What is it that Jesus is talking about that we need in order to get into heaven? And I believe that his illustration here is actually referring to something John talks about in Revelation 19, which is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the point where Christ and the church are finally united in celebration over the fact that the kingdom of heaven is now coming to the earth. In the time where the battle over against the Antichrist and those in rebellion against God is coming to an end, and we are getting to go into eternity where Christ sets up his kingdom. And in the marriage supper of the Lamb, in Revelation 19, in verse 7 and 8, Jesus gives us a description, or God gives us a description, of what the wedding clothes are that you need to wear to be prepared for heaven. In verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, new clothes. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. So in heaven, we are given new clothes, just like the king was looking for in the story with this man. But the man didn't have the right clothes. And what clothes do we see that we'll be wearing in heaven? Well, it is the fine white linen that represents the good works of God's people. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus is not saying that you must do good deeds in order to get into heaven. We, we can see what he's talking about by looking at the title of the group of people that are wearing the clothes. The title of these people are God's holy people. These are the ones wearing the new clothes. And this title reveals two things to us. First thing is that they're God's. G-O-D apostrophe S. That means they belong to God. That's a, that, that shows possession. These people that are given clothes belong to God, which means they had been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've been adopted into his family. There was a relationship already in place prior to them receiving these clothes. And the second thing we see is that they were holy. 
That word holy means to be set apart, to be reserved, which means they were living lives for the honor and glory of God, not to satisfy their sinful desires. So in other words, the works that were being produced in their life were because of their relationship with God, not in an effort to acquire it. The clothes were given to them after they repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Paul, in the Galatians chapter 3, kind of describes this dynamic at work. In verse 26 and 27, he says, For all children of God, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith comes first. And it says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on what? New clothes. When you place your faith and trust in Christ, when you're baptized in his Holy Spirit and united into the church, it's like you get Christ to wear like new clothes. His righteousness is placed on your account. And so it's an amazing concept to understand is that when God looks at you because you're in Christ, he no longer sees your sinfulness. He no longer sees the mistakes that you've made. He sees his son, the glory of the one and the only son of God. This is part of the benefits of being in relationship with Jesus Christ is that when we are forgiven of our sins, it's gone forever. We have new standing and new relationship with God. And when he looks at us, he says, you know what? That one's mine. He belongs to me. She belongs to me. She is my son, my daughter. He is my son. They are my holy people because they are in Christ. And the story of the wedding feast, since the man didn't have the proper clothes for the wedding, it meant that he didn't do what was necessary to acquire those clothes, to acquire the righteousness of God. And since the man didn't acquire the righteousness of God, Jesus is using this illustration to reveal to these religious leaders that, hey, following the rules of your religion, they cannot cleanse you from your sins. It can only cover your sin and hide your sin so that no one else thinks you have any sin. But it cannot make you right with God. Even Paul in the book of Romans, he says, the law was never meant to make you right with God. It was meant to reveal how sinful you were and how you needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if we try to do good works, if we try to tip the balance and the scale of doing more good than bad in order to acquire salvation, it's really just like whitewashing a tomb that's filled with dead men's bones. We can look so pretty on the outside with all these glorious things that we do, with how spiritual and how religious we look, but on the inside, we are still filthy before God. The only thing that can cleanse us from our sin, the only thing that can make us right with God is not religion, it's relationship with Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about these people, these religious people that stand before him and they say, God, look at all that I've done. Look at all these good works. Look how great I prophesied. Look at these miracles I did in your name. And his response is, depart from me, for I never knew you. It doesn't matter what you do. It's who you know. The same is true for us today. Unless you repent of your sin, Jesus says in Luke 13, 3, you will likewise perish. Repentance and faith is what reestablishes your relationship with Jesus Christ That is the preparation you need to wear the clothes in order to get into the wedding feast. The core concept of this message today is that you can wear religious clothes that reek of sin, 
or close of repentance and be free of sin. God wants to free you of your sin. He wants to dress you in his righteousness. He wants you to bear the image of the one and only Son of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 1 and 2, speaking of those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Paul says, so there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means hell is not even an option for those that are in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation because the sin has been paid for on the cross. And he says, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is what God desires to work out in your life, not to make you religious, but to take a dead person and bring them to life, that you would experience life and life overflowing through your relationship in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith results in restored relationship, a new nature which brings new desires and the power to do God's will, which are the good deeds he prepared for you to do long before you were ever born. The good deeds represented in the fine white linen of God's holy people. Hell is as real as heaven. And as sobering as that reality is, Jesus said, that narrow is the road to the kingdom, and there are few who find it. Wide is the road to destruction, and there will be many people that end up there. Why? Because they didn't take the precautions. They didn't make the preparations before the wedding party arrived. And here in Matthew 22, Jesus is saying that the party was first an exclusive gathering. He had prepared the party for a certain group of people, but those that the king first invited blew him off. They had better things to do. They even sent the servants back. They even killed some of the servants, some of the messengers. And they spit in the king's face with their refusal to come to the party. This was the state of the nation of Israel, of the people of the promise. God had sent the Messiah on the day of his triumphant entry. Jesus was entering Jerusalem to reveal that the Messiah had come. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. That the day of promise was being fulfilled before their very eyes. And what did he find? He found a wicked and faithless people. They rejected him, and we know the story. They end up crucifying the Lord instead of worshiping him. And since they rejected the invitation of the master, the king made another move. He opens up the invitation to the wedding to others. In Matthew 22, verse 9, he tells the servants, Now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. You see, God intended the nation of Israel to be the light bearers, to be the chosen race for the Messiah to come to bring salvation to the world. And through Abraham, God promised that all of the nations of the world would be blessed. But the children of Abraham, the nation of Israel, rejected God. And because they rejected Jesus Christ, he opens the party invitation to anyone who wants to come. Just as the king said to the servants, Jesus now has sent the church into all the world to preach the gospel, to give the invitation to anyone who will hear and respond that the feast is ready, the party plans are in place, you are invited because you matter to God. He's prepared an incredible blessing for you in Romans 10, 13. Paul says it like this, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Not might be, not can be, will be. It's a promise that you call in the name of Jesus and he has the power to break every chain, to set you free, to deliver you from your sin, restore your relationship with God and guarantee you a pass into the wedding feast. And as your relationship with Christ is restored, the Holy Spirit comes to fill your heart and your life and you find out how much you're really loved by God The more you find out how much you're loved, the more you will want to show that love to others in return. And the good deeds of God's people will flow through your life as fruit of the Spirit. There's some here today. There's someone here today, I believe, that needs to respond to the King's invitation. That you need to turn away from your sins, put them behind you, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You might have gone to church your whole life. You've done the religious thing, but through the word of God, we understand religion is not going to get you into heaven. That doesn't bring about the good clothes that you need to be prepared for the wedding feast. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that only begins when you call out to Jesus, ask him to forgive you of your sin, and you trust in him to be your Lord and Savior. Only then, when your relationship is begun with God, Will you be free from sin, delivered from hell, and guaranteed a home in heaven? And when you make that decision to trust in Christ, then you can celebrate with his church as we hope for the day where our faith will be made sight. When Jesus comes back to redeem us, to restore us, and to make all things new. What a day of rejoicing that will be when heaven comes to earth. Let's bow our heads and pray in this place. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you've, you've played the church role really well, you've come because of maybe the influence of your parents or maybe because you thought it was a good thing to do, but this faith thing has never been real. You've never called out to Jesus with your heart and say, Jesus, forgive me and save me. I trust in you now as my Lord and Savior. Then right now in this moment, I invite you to pray this prayer with me, to declare this from your heart, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and to secure your home in heaven as you begin a relationship with him. Right here in this moment, just pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner, and the wages of my sin is death. But I receive that gift in Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sin. I'm trusting in your son and his death and his resurrection. He now is Lord and Savior. Take me, Lord. I'm yours in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up today so I can pray for you now in this place? Just a prayer of of blessing on your life. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you saw the hands that were raised. And God, I just pray that your spirit would fill them now, God. I send them now to fill their hearts and minds, God, that their understanding of your love would be overwhelmed right now in Jesus Christ. God, that they would even sense now their sins washing away. 
that you'd become alive and real in their life right now in this place. And God, I just pray that they would not separate themselves from your church, God, but that they would continue to come so that we can encourage them as they begin this relationship with you and follow you as their Lord and Savior. God, we know you have great plans in store for them. God, you have a destiny and a purpose for their life. God, and I just pray against the enemy that would work to steer them on a different path. God, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would free them from the struggles that they brought in with them in this place. That the addictions and the just the emotional pain from past experiences, God, would be lifted now in the name of Jesus. God, we pray to you and we ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and that your spirit would live and flow through us as your church and that your love would be known and experienced by those in our families and in our communities because of what we experience in our own lives. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and the promise of eternity with you through our faith. I thank you that we didn't have to try to figure a way to make it happen on our own, that there, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation, but it's by your grace we can be saved. And it's in your grace and it's in your mercy that we trust in in this place. We thank you for your love. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.